and delightful to be here again. We wish we could just retire. Come down where we have friends, the atmosphere, fellowship, people like faith. Can't do that. Wish you turn tonight to the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. 17th chapter of the book of Acts. This week, your pastor, Brother Griswold, Brother Magruder, one or two others are meeting in Louisville. I've given promise that I'll stay over an extra week if we get anybody interested to preach for the, the Redeemer Baptist Church, believe it is, Brother Edgington. And we are meeting together get what little brain power we have together, mix it up, stir it well in the hopes we can come up with the wisdom of God as to how to redeem the time in which we're living as far as our little ministers are concerned. I am going to attempt God willing this next year to do missionary work among preachers. It's a humbling thing that I'm attempting and I'm scared out of my wits. First, I don't think it can be done, but I know it must be done. Second, it seems that I'd have a big head to think that I go into community and ring the doorbells of young preachers and ask them to come, let me teach them how to preach the gospel. Somebody's got to do it. If we do not begin to put some sharp teeth in the ministry of the young preachers coming on, we are certainly in for it. We've just got to be missionary-minded I'll try simply to indoctrinate to our way of thinking some young preachers. But to get them to preach the Christ that's in the Bible. I thank this congregation for your part in this ministry. I couldn't make it without you. The little church in Louisville has now that work in its budget. They send $25 a month. And now the church in Silicon has agreed to do likewise. The church in Minor Heights in Birmingham is to do something about it. We're hoping they'll come in rather substantially. And it looks now that I may be able to give from a half to two-thirds of my time as long as those things continue to this absolutely mission work of seeking to reach young preachers. I just walking around crying, oh God, how can it be done? 
and I need your prayers as we try to set up meetings to get young preachers to come for four or five days for three or four hours a day to sit around and discuss the preaching of the Christ of the Bible. You pray for me. I beg you to. I force you, your own pastor, Brother Griswold, Brother Magruder, and Brother Caldwell. I think you might be glad to know of a hear word about Brother Caldwell. He's happy. I was in Spartanburg, South Carolina, in the month of September, 30 miles from his home in Greenville. And he just lived with me. And uh, he's going to go on his pensions. He left two of them. First of January will be 65. He had some income. And he left enough to live on. He said he wanted to give all of his time to reaching young preachers. He'd pay his own expenses. He'd have the money. I thank God that my dear friend, Brother Caldwell, is not going to starve to death. I don't want a single preacher in these desperate days who has struggled to preach the truth, or as much truth as he can get a hold of. I don't want him to be a laughing stock of this generation who says that you'll starve to death if you preach the sovereign redeemer. And I'm just so happy that the Lord provided financial needs of Brother Caldwell, and I think he'll fit into our program. Pray for us. Now, that isn't wasted time. I think if you'll follow me in the message tonight, you'll at least get a little of my own heartbeat and <clears throat> the pathos and, and, and begging that's behind my invitation and plead to you as a congregation to... Stand by and resist Satan and be used of God to open doors to get at the hearts of young preachers. I want to speak tonight from the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, beginning at verse 30. And I'm going to try to speak on the God nobody is mad at tonight. And uh, I want to use the text to start from at least verses 30 to 31. And the times of this ignorance, God overlooked. The word weep there has a sort of a bad meaning now. And the word overlooked is a little nearer the rendering. The times of this ignorance, they're willful, or it was willful, ignorance of the true God. The Apostle Paul says the times of that, when you were willfully ignorant of God, God did overlook, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent. And there's tremendous urgency behind this command of the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He commands all men everywhere to repent in the context of the fact that he had himself without consultation with anybody 
but as an outgrowth of his very moral nature, he had appointed a day when things will be straightened out. He's appointed a day in the which he will judge the world. It just wouldn't be fair if a time of judgment when crooked things are made straight, it just wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be in the nature of a loving God if we didn't have a time of judgment. Time when the only one who's capable sits in judgment on the actions and responses of men and women whom he's created. God's terribly in earnest about this repentance business because whether men believe it or not, God has fixed a day of judgment. And he's fixed a day of judgment which the world will be judged in righteousness. And the gauge of righteousness and the measure of judgment will be determined by that man. The man Christ Jesus, whom he had marked out beforehand to be the judge of all men. All men are to be judged in the shadow of the white light of the perfect righteousness of the Lord. Jesus Christ, my soul, I don't want to come to that judgment and have to deal with that God using a measuring stick of the perfect righteousness of Christ. I don't want to come to that judgment in my own strength. I believe I live to be a million years old. It'll dawn on me some of these days out desperately. I need a mediator to stand between me and a holy God. I don't need a shove in the right direction. I don't need some encouragement. I got to have a mediator to stand with one hand on God, one hand on me, and get rid of that which would keep us apart. God knows. I wish I knew how to tell men how desperately you need the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. God's in earnest about this repentance business, and he's given men some evidence, something to put your teeth in. He's given men this assurance. This is all the assurance he's given us. It's enough. Because if it's so, couldn't add to it. If it isn't, well, your opinion's good as mine. The assurance God's given of this time of judgment, when he'll judge the world not in the courts of modern-day opinions, but against the white light, but righteousness of Christ, the assurance he's given is that he, by his own power, by his own act, without any help from men, 
hath raised this man from the dead. From the dead. If you pick up the book of Acts, and it's surely the book for today, for whether we are prepared to believe it or not, the one thing of about of all things that must take place in your lifetime and mine. If we keep our church doors open, if they get bought not written over their doors, God doesn't quit. There must be a manifestation, an outpouring of the Spirit of the living God, who alone can present the demands of God for his son in such a way that men will be stabbed and begin to scream. The Holy Spirit's the only one to do that. And as God is my judge, I know I speak the truth. Organized Christianity, I don't care how sound your doctrine is, how perfect your creeds are, we've come to the end of the road. Unless God comes and makes his confirmation on what we're trying to preach. We've used up every alibi. We are at wit's end corner. God knows we must have a repetition of the work of the Holy Spirit making Christ real presenting him in such a way that men cannot patronize him or make out like they're neutral about him but that's what he did in the book of Acts we are dying because everybody is in favor of Jesus now there's nobody mad at him. There's nobody very much excited about him. And we're dying a slow but sure death for lack first of the preaching, second of the work of the Holy Spirit to make the preaching effective of the Christ who walks through the pages of the Acts of the Apostles and the Holy Ghost and disturbs in every chapter. You pick up the book of Acts, and when you come to chapter 3, you're right smack dab in the middle of a fight. And it's soon is impressed upon all who read that the one thing that the religious people of that day could not bear to be told about or to be reminded of was a name. A name. The name of Jesus. They were religious. They were conscientious. 
They fight you for freedom of worship. But the very mention of that name made them terribly mad. The Jesus that the early preachers preached was universally admired. He was bitterly hated in his day. And that's what revival would be. Martin Lloyd Jones came over for the summer. About the only man that's got a hearing in England now, and some who associated with him said that he said the one thing that surprised him and amazed him about his trip to America was that Christian people were not down to real business of praying for revival. Well, that's our only hope now. No halfway measures will do now. We must have. A recurrence of the manifestation of Christ in the Holy Ghost and the satanic enmity of the devil, neither of which you and I have ever experienced much of. That's my plain preaching in the book of Acts. It brought out some terrible in the day on the part of Satan and some tremendous manifestation on the part of the Holy Ghost. And the third chapter, the lame man is healed. And he's healed. Nobody would object to a lame man being healed. <clears throat> but the added jewel to the fire Peter does when he says silver and gold have I not, but such as I have give thee in the name. Is that hated name in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Rise up and walk. And the man did in the name, in the authority, in the power of the living Christ, for it took power, power only God has to give that lame man his, give him back his, the use of his limbs, and he leaps up and praises God, and Peter gets a chance to preach and say that this was done. By the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12 of chapter 3. When Peter saw it, this man leaping and praising God. And the people filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They come to Solomon's porch and they're greatly wondering. What I'm pleading for. And what I'm saying we must settle for anything less. That's what I'm saying. We ought to get out to the business of, the, of praying for one thing and one thing only, that Jesus Christ may break through the popularity contest that religion has got to be now. Manifest himself. Because people start to wonder, can't get in a crowd any other way.
marvel at this. No use to why do you look at us so earnestly. We didn't have any power or fullness. We didn't make this man walk, but I'll tell you what took place. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, what's he done? He has glorified his son, whom he delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, which he denied the Holy One and just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and kill the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses as plain speaking. The longer I preach, the more I see that just two doctrines in the Bible we must always preach morning, night, dinner, breakfast, supper, and that's a crucified Enthrone Christ. That's the only thing you find in the book of Acts. And the longer I preach, the more I am determined by the grace of God, if you'll give us wisdom to open doors so we get somebody to stand still and hear it, to come back to face this generation with the fact that if you are member of the human race, it is your voice that screamed away with him. Yonder on Calvary's cross, and it's your hands that nailed those nails in his limbs. It is you who denied the Holy One of God. It is me, it is me and you who killed the Prince of Life, and it's God Almighty that raised him from the dead. And I want to get some young preachers started once again to just hold in this generation feet to the fire. That this world murdered God's son. God raised him from the dead and put him on a throne and turned the destiny of all mankind over to him. Brother, that kind of Christ, they hated him in the book of Acts. He won right. No, sir. It wasn't to that kind of Christ that the kings of the earth came to the funeral of our president. I honor the office of president. My heart broke as I saw Christ ignored in his burial. I saw some kind of a God patronized. I saw a gospel acted out that an atheist, the vice premier of Russia, could attend and never bat an eyelash. And I sat there and cried in my heart and said that God, who was patronized in the gospel that was perverted before untold hundreds of millions of people the world around, how long will it take us? They ever get another hearing about a gospel that condemns as well as blesses and presents a Christ that can be hated or worshipped but cannot be patronized or ignored. You just keep on turning through the book of Acts. In the fourth chapter, things are picking up. And the 
enough souls that the little group meets together in a prayer meeting like I think it's time to have some more like them now. They're commanded to shut up about this Jesus. You can't speak anymore in the name. Hated name. They go and report. They've been ordered again to shut up. They can have their religion, but this hated name must not be mentioned. And they with one accord, verse 24, get out the real business and they pray a prayer. If there's anything in the Bible it's the hour you and I are living in now. It's this prayer. Pray with one accord, one accord. They said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by thy mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. If you can't feel the breath of clenched fist, gritted teeth in opposition to my Lord Jesus Christ, you might have done Brother, I'm not worried much about the worldwide conspiracy of communism. I'm worried about the worldwide getting together of the religious forces of today against God Christ. The war is on. For the truth against thy holy child Jesus. And through the mad act. The marriage about your son against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed. Both Herod, Pontius Pilate, and the heathen, and the people of Israel, whole children, join hands and live in so called Christian America. We have an intervention of the sovereign power of God. They're going to walk him to the city limits of America like they did France and forbid Jesus Christ to come back. We're in the very midst of a fight for survival. They're ganged up on Jesus Christ. Everybody got him a nice God now. Everybody's powerful religious. For the four days of the awful tragedy, the lawlessness against all authority that all stems from rebellion against God's authority. And some fool will blow out the brains of a president, and another fool will kill his accused assassin. When we got a picture of sin, it is rude. Rebellion against authority. That's the whole thing. And in the four days of that tragedy, when if you are not a devil, you are not by thinking that you have anti 
holiday. Those four days, you destroyed everybody in the world from Khrushchev down. It's mighty, mighty, well acquainted with Almighty God. But they have a good acquaintance with a God who is not the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel was dealt the sledgehammer ball in those days when the uniqueness of Christ was ignored and the truth that you cannot honor God unless you honor his son was absolutely bypassed. You just read all through the book of Acts and you'll find the one page that brought the nation of kings was the action of Almighty God. His son anointing his son Give him a name. Give him authority. Put him near into his hands. Turning this world over to him. Exalting him on a throne. And it's that exalted, enthroned son of the living God. Listen, Maddie. Listen, Maddie. Can't talk about. Don't want to hear anything about it. Shut up. We've heard all we want to hear about it. Strangely enough, in that atmosphere, it's when they occurred the only time in history what called Christianity, that the Church of the Living Christ made a dent on its generation. We need, if we value the souls of men, to pray the Lord will begin to raise up mouthpieces and pour the Spirit of God upon them as we've never witnessed in our days to make the issue one more time. This name, this Christ, and to press his claims until men cannot be neutral and indifferent until they'll cry away with him. Or they'll say, surely this was the Son of God. In the atmosphere of this dualism, the hatred and the power of God, comes the old message of the Father of this hated Christ commanding all men everywhere to repent. In the Old Testament, God's preachers said, turn you, turn you, for why will you die? John the Baptist came and said, repent. The Lord Jesus Christ came and said, repent. And he illustrated it by stories and actual occurrences, time upon time, line upon line. And if he taught anything this side of eternity, he taught that the only way on earth that leads 
to the forgiveness at the hands of Almighty God of a man's sins by way of the rocky road of repentance. He taught that the only escape of the eternal judgment of God in a burning hell is the rocky road of repentance. He taught that the only way that a man may have a miracle work in him and give him a heart that can worship and love God is by way of the rocky road of repentance. Repentance. He taught that the only way that a man may have a miracle work in him and give him a heart that can worship and love God is by way of the rocky road of repentance. When we come to the preaching of the Apostle Peter, he carries the same message that he's accused the people of denying the Holy One of God, killing the Prince of Life. He commands them to repent. To repent. The hopes of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. When the Apostle Paul will take up the reins, he'll keep on preaching the times of this ignorance God overlooked, but now commanded men, all men, everywhere, to repent. I've been preaching 37 years. I can't define repentance yet. And just tell you, when a man has some evidence, he has repented. When you've turned from yourself in utter loathing and been able to receive the Lord Jesus Christ in the truth about him, rejoicing in him, finding your need in him, you've repented. You've repented. Well, I know what it means or not. The scriptures are not careful to define it. Or I'd find out. It seems that God said, I'll let the Holy Ghost interpret it. Whatever it means, if you do not experience it, you'll never have your sins forgiven. Whatever it means, if you do not experience it, you'll perish in eternal hell. Whatever means, if you do not experience it, you'll never have a new heart that loves God. I found when you try to define things that are not definable, the Holy Spirit goes away. I think deep down in a man's heart, he understands what repentance is. I think this is an illustration of it. I was in a southern city being entertained in a hotel one night. I came back from preaching service, got in the elevator, and I was at a Bible. The Negro elevator operator said, Boss man, said, you the preacher, ain't you? I said, yes. He said, I talk to you the preacher. I see that Bible in your arm every night. He said, I've been wanting to ask you 
just couldn't get up nerve. Said, you mind if I ask you a question? I said, no, I don't mind. He said, preacher, said, case a man gets converted, don't something happen in here? I said, yeah, sure does. Sure does. He said, you know, preacher, I've been telling them college students I ain't saved. Did they tell them I am? Because I believe in the Bible. We said, I tell them that if I say, I'd be different in here. Whatever repentance is, without it, you will never be different in here. You will never have a heart that God must give you. That will cause you to rejoice in Jesus Christ as your only hope. And your absolute Lord. You can't wind yourself up into a condition that's got to be an experience fresh from the hand of God to change you. From a worshiper of self, the one who enthrones Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. With the importance of repentance, no man can escape God's judgment apart from it. No man can receive a new heart apart from it. I have wondered why men do not seek repentance from God. I wouldn't get in theological debate, but if repentance can be summed up maybe by saying that when a man has turned from his will, resist to the truth. The salvation means that I've got a new master and that master's Christ. Now I'm under new ownership and under new control. I think men know that. When I can say that repentance is when I've been fixed up so that I willingly and worshipfully and joyfully cease my rebellion against the control of Christ in my life and cease all of my self-trust and cast all my way wholly on him. I wondered why men do not seek God to grant unto them this wonderful gift that'll give me a new heart, a heart that can worship Him. Surely the Bible would answer it succinctly by saying that left alone there is none that seeketh after God. It doesn't say there's none that wouldn't like to keep out of hell. It doesn't say that there's none that wouldn't like to have a consciousness that they go to heaven when they die, but does say that apart from God, none seeketh after him. But I pass over that quickly. 
come to this closing word. And this is what's breaking my heart. This is why I want you to pray for me, the young pastor and others. This is why I'm dead in earnest about it. This is why sometimes my old heart never breaks. Ladies and gentlemen, I say it with tears in my heart. I say it with, I hope, humility. I say it with a burden that's too heavy for a human being to bear all. The Christ, who's so popular now, the Christ preaching everywhere now. Nobody's in rebellion against him. Who would like the Jesus of modern day Christianity? There's nothing about him to command the respect or to offend anybody. I heard some preachers the other day preaching truth terrible spirit. It broke my heart. Oh, there was a time for brokenness, humiliation in the dust, for crying to God, we're living in it. We're living in a day when the days of John Wesley are before us. We've got no John Wesley's and George Whitfield's. We're living in a day when Christ Preach, Brother Mayhem. But the truth about it left out. And if you leave out the cardinal truth about Christ, everybody will admire him. The radio commentators, the television jokesters, the Catholics, the atheists, and everybody else will have a good word for Jesus. And the thing that's on my poor, weak, and maybe wicked heart, I live in a day I'm not a crank, and I'm not a fool, but I'm telling you the truth. And I wish I could put my arms around 13th Street Church. There was a group this side of hell that ought to sprout wings of liberality, mission, passion, and tears, and prayer at you. With a broken heart, I tell you. Men are not seeking repentance now, for nobody needs to repent to accept the popular Jesus. You don't need a new heart to get converted now. Oh, my soul, the Jesus Paul preached, you couldn't accept him apart from a broken heart about your own sins. You couldn't accept him without utter repudiation of your own willful way. You couldn't accept him without utter distrust of yourself. Father Jesus, who's the Son of Almighty God, the only Savior and potentate. 
the Jesus of the book of Acts, the Jesus they were so mad about, the Jesus that must be preached now, a man had to repent to receive him. If this world is full of nice people, it'd be one thing, but if it's full of folks like us, no man can stay a man apart from God's work and ever come to the place where one time the start there's an empty deep then all. The one big thing that dominates his life is his response to the absolute lordship of this hated Jesus. It'll keep you praying if you face the truth about Christ. And there's one truth the book of Acts says. It is that God's final answer to the actions of wicked men was to exalt his son and turn over his plans and purposes to him and utterly to give him control of your destiny and of mine. I don't want to bear the offense for foolishness. I have to do a lot of that act the fool and got much sense. I wish that I could be counted worthy of bearing what to me is the thing that gives the most offense in this day to what I believe is the preaching of the gospel, the good news of God about his son. And the most offensive thing the thing that makes me ask pray for a place to preach, wonder if I'll ever get another place. The thing that drives me to my knees and say, Lord, am I wrong under God? Show me if I have. But it gets deeper all the time. Old man Carwell put his arms around me and said, Rob, did you ever change? God will kid you. The one thing that'll make Christ change it by some. And worship by others is the fact. I can't explain it. Until I pull my tongue out at my roots, or I'll keep on preaching it. Is that he showed mercy to whom he will? I find the preachers don't care much for your doctrinal position. They're not very mad at you about it. I found that out. But a preacher put his arms around me the other day and said, Brother Barnum, drive a hundred miles. Yeah, you preach in the time. Wouldn't let you preach to my church for a thousand dollars. And I said, why? He said, Brother Barnard, I've heard you say that unless God Almighty comes to the rescue of a sinner, he'll never be saved. He said, that's fatalism, Brother Barnum. But that isn't fatalism. That's the God's truth. And the Christ, I find that people are not mad about the words at first. Some of the seminary professors, they are 
paid any attention to. Nobody objects to the virgin birth much, not much more wonderful than a natural birth. Nobody much objects to the sinlessness of Christ. We admire a man like that. Nobody objects to his teachings or sermon on the mount. We'll put that off to the sweet by and by. Nobody objects to the going about raising the dead, healing the sick, and doing good. So am I. They object to his throne ship. If we could take him off the throne and give you a right to prate about being saved from hell through his precious blood, why are you ignoring and his right to rave? We could Christianize this world before midnight. But the enthroned Christ is the God this world's mad at. The Christ who says as the Father raise it from the dead whom he will. Even so the Son give life to whom he will. This world's mad at it. I wish we could fill America full of that message again. I believe America is the greatest mission field in the world. You wouldn't think I'm meddling if I laid on your hearts. Be great missionaries to Christian America, which will not have Christ sitting on throne. That's America. And there's one other truth about Christ makes him the God people are mad at. That's his utter absolute saviorhood. My hope is built on nothing less is yours than Jesus' blood and righteousness. For a revival of preaching and power, that is Christ, not Christ am, but Christ, that we have redemption through his blood and, no, no, just through his blood, that we have access through his blood and, no, no, just through his blood. That there is none other name given unto heaven among men whereby we must go away the The Bible never tries to separate the cross of Christ and the throne of Christ. They go together. If we can keep on 
preaching. Redemption through the blood plus this, that, and the other. There's no offense there. But this world is not in love with a Christ who did it all. When he gave up his soul unto death, I come for this plea, then my ramblings will be over. I believe that if you receive Christ, that out of your heart comes bubbling through your lips a confession of him. You'll be saved. What I want to preach, what I want you to preach, what I want to hold your feet to the fire about, you cannot receive it apart from what it is, where he is. And I long to live to see the day. We'll have a revival preaching that'll cause some to start seeking a new heart. A heart that can rejoice that Jesus Christ sits on God's throne. A heart that can rejoice salvation through the blood a heart insane under the blood under the blood I've kept you too long you'll forgive me